Hello and welcome to our London History Podcast, where we share our love of London, its people, places and history in weekly 20-minute episodes. I am your host, Hazel Baker, qualified London tour guide and CEO of London Guided Walks. You can follow us on Twitter at guided underscore walks or find us on Instagram at walk underscore London or indeed we're also on Facebook on London Guided Walks. We offer lots of lovely guided walks and private tours, treasure hunts and virtual tours for Londoners and visitors alike. You can check those out on our website londonguidedwalks.co.uk. Don't forget our blog is regularly updated with posts written by our passionate team of qualified tour guides and there are hundreds to choose from, all absolutely free. To kick off the new year, I'm just going to do it, I am going to use the B word, Brexit. This is Britain's breakaway from the European Union. We know that Brexit means Brexit. Putting aside all the politics, what does it really mean for the City of London in this historic event? I've invited City of London tour guide Ian McDermott to join us. And he incidentally does a very interesting financial tour in the city as well. Thanks for joining us, Ian. Uh, My pleasure, Hazel. So you are all things finance (laughs) and I need some help with Brexit. So let's get down to it. Why is the City of London so important when we're talking about Brexit? Well, simply put, the uh, city is enormous. Financial services, so that's the city and all the other financial jobs in the UK, make up about 10% of the United Kingdom's economy, which is massive. And when I say financial services as a whole, this includes all the jobs that are scattered around the country. The only other financial centre that really matters is Edinburgh, and that's only a tiny fraction of the size of of London, but it's important in in fund management. But there are lots of back office jobs, lots of administrative jobs uh, scattered around the country, and there are probably about 700,000 people employed by this sector. And it just hasn't been just hasn't featured in the Brexit negotiations at all. Um, Theresa May, when she became Prime Minister, one of the first things she said was to make it clear that um, the UK was going to leave the single market, and the single market is that bit of the EU market that covers services, and that the negotiations were just going to concentrate on the so-called customs union, which is the bit that covers physical goods. And there's an irony here, because uh, people will know whether they were following the news with a degree of keenness or with absolute boredom that fisheries were featuring very heavily in the negotiations and indeed i noticed that and why was that then well simply because fishing fishermen make very good uh photographing photograph opportunities for politicians so boris johnson shaking the hands of a fisherman somewhere goes plays very very well but in contrast to him, say, shaking the hands of some banker, which isn't going to play very well, <laughs> particularly in their newly won northern constituencies. However, fisheries make up about 0.05% of GDP. So the government was spending an awful lot of time wrangling over a sector in my incredible detail over a sector which is one two hundredth of the size of the city. Wow. And the city just hasn't 
featured in the government's negotiations and really hasn't featured in the government's concerns, it seems. And I think that this has got a lot to do with the fact that the city itself has been very reluctant to uh, stick its head above the parapet and be too prominent in the Brexit debate, simply because bankers are so unpopular, um, partly as a result of the 2008 crisis when people had to, taxpayers, ordinary people, had to pay out huge sums to bail out the the, the banking industry. Um, but also, I mean, bankers just aren't popular ever. But I mean, this is, from an economic point of view, from the point of view of the interests of the United Kingdom, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Now, with this importance, there is a downside, and that is that uh, financial companies, the financial sector is huge in the UK, and the problem is something called systemic risk. In most sectors of the economy, if a company gets into difficulty, it'll create a little local difficulty, create problems around it, maybe for its suppliers, but basically it's the company goes down, the shareholders lose all their money. The trouble with banks is systemic risk. If a bank goes down, it'll bring its creditors with it. So not only does the bank fail, but whole sectors of the economy are brought down with it. And this is systemic risk. And as a result of systemic risk, for the better part of the last 200 years, central banks have stepped in to rescue banks when they get into crisis. It doesn't always happen. The Federal Reserve in America didn't do it for Lehman Brothers, but the Bank of England did step in to rescue RBS, Lloyds Bank and a raft of others. Mm -hmm. And the reason they do this is because the cost to the economy would be so huge if they didn't. But this means that having finance as financial services as so big a part of your economy is risky and it also creates huge resentment because when they do get into difficulty, the taxpayer has to bail them out. So it's a very big sector. It's a very important sector, but it's also a controversial one. So why don't people like the City of London? Why, why is there the dislike there? Well, in addition to this fact that people had to put their hands into their pockets and pay out so much money, there's the problem that the bankers themselves aren't particularly likeable. I mean, they tend to be young. They still tend to be male, very richly remunerated, and people resent that. And a lot of people also resent London from outside, from other parts of the UK. And... I think there is a real problem here because one of the problems with the UK is huge disparities in wealth and unfortunately the city doesn't help that. On the other hand, the big defence for the city is that to say, look, it's much better to have these people, you may not like them, but it's much better to have them here in the UK paying their taxes rather than to have them somewhere else and to lose it all. And in addition to the city accounting for about 10% of the GDP of the country, it also accounts for about 10% of the tax take. So a lot of the hospitals, schools, all the government spending that's carried on throughout the country, outside London, is dependent on this huge financial city, financial centre being located here. Mm -hmm. But I suppose it's really difficult for people to understand what the city really is. Yes, and it's very significant because going back to my point about fisheries and the British government making a big fuss over them and Boris Johnson likely to be photographed with fishermen, it's it's very difficult for the city to actually stand up and make its voice clear. So the city spends a lot of money on PR. It's got a very professional PR arm called City UK, 
which does a very good job advocating financial services. But during throughout the Brexit debate, they've been pretty much invisible. And I think it's because they don't dare be seen. Uh, and contrasted to this current, the car industry, not just fisheries, but the car industry, which, made a, which will be a big loser from Brexit, which has made a big, big fuss about it. So there, there's a whole, there's an air of unreality about Brexit and where, where the government's attentions are going. Mm-hmm. So what is going to happen today, January the 1st, 2021? Uh, Britain left the EU at the end of January 2020. And from January 2020 to the end of December 2020, it was in transitional arrangements whereby the all the rules put in place were still in place. And then on January the 1st, 2021, those arrangements came to, came to an end and Britain fully left the EU. So the agreement uh, reached on Christmas Eve, as, as mentioned, just covers physical goods. It doesn't cover services. And the city is facing uh, a whole raft of negotiations with the EU to cover its activities. What the EU has done has been the bare minimum to ensure that the so-called financial plumbing, the the very basics, carry on. But the rest of it is still up for grabs and still has to be negotiated over. How is the city affected by Brexit? It's affected in two ways. The first is by the hit to the UK economy as a whole, because the city relies on the United Kingdom for about a quarter of its business. And economists in general agree that Brexit is a bad thing from an economic point of view. And the OBR, the Office for Budget Responsibility, has estimated that the kind of Brexit deal that was negotiated, uh, which was to the harder end of the spectrum from when we first started talking about Brexit, that that would reduce GDP by about four and a half percentage points over 15 years. So that's, that's the first way it affects the city. The second way is a more important way, which is um, to affect its relationships with the EU. Now, the EU, again, accounts for about a quarter of the city's business, but it accounts for just under half of uh, financial services exports from the UK. So it's a huge, huge market. And is passporting affected by all of this? Yes. um, The Brexit negotiations affect the city's access to the EU markets in two ways. The most important way is through the loss of passporting. Uh, The second way is that the EU regulators can simply insist that business concerning the euro is done out of the eurozone itself. And this is going to be replaced by equivalence. And for the benefits of the audience, what is passporting? Passporting is the uh, arrangement within the single market whereby financial firms operating in one area of the uh, EU can sell their services across the EU without having to get registered again, without having to get approval, without having to fill out forms. The fact that they are or the fact that UK firms were regulated in the UK meant that before we left the EU, they could just simply carry on all their business throughout the EU. And this was of enormous importance. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit like a a single sign-on. I just have one login and I'm able to get into all my online accounts. Yes, it's, uh, very similar. So now if you want to <laughs> if you want to sell uh, into the EU, you, you're probably going to have to go through a lot of hurdles and a lot of um, 
a lot of companies have set up, uh, have opened offices or moved business into mm-hmm. the EU to avoid this problem. So you mentioned that passporting is going to be replaced by equivalents, which is what? So this is the way the EU uh, regulates business with um, countries outside the EU. So equivalence is, for, for example, the, the route through which American firms have done business with the EU, Japanese firms have. And there are a couple of problems with it. One is that it's not comprehensive. It's piecemeal. You have to have an equivalence agreement on every single little aspect of financial of the financial world. And also, it's not comprehensive. It, the equivalence agreements aren't going to cover everything. So they're not going to cover things like retail uh, investments. They're not going to cover ordinary banking. So there are big emissions there. And another real problem with it is that it relies on the two sides, the UK and the EU, recognising that each other's financial regulation is up to scratch and that it's equivalent uh, in effect to their own. And the problem is that the EU can withdraw uh, its approval of equivalents within 30 days, just give 30 days notice. And this means that the UK is going to be on the hook because the EU can just turn around and say, I'm sorry, we're going to remove equivalents. And they might want to do this because they're being unpleasant. And they might want to do it because Britain wants to change its regulations um, and the EU just simply doesn't uh, agree with it. And the EU has form here because they have in the past withdrawn equivalents from the Swiss Stock Exchange, which meant that EU investors could not trade on the Swiss Stock Exchange, which uh, is enormously important. And it may well be that Britain, in negotiating these equivalent agreements, just decides it's not worth it. We're handing too much power to the EU. We'll just get on it, get on with it, and we'll try and uh, ignore the EU and go down our own route. And how important is the EU to the City of London? Well, we've already mentioned that the EU accounts for about a quarter of the city's business, and in the very worst case scenario, much of that could be at risk. But the city also benefits um, from its or has benefited from its EU membership in terms of its business with the rest of the world. Through having its uh, foothold in the EU, it's been able to market itself to areas outside the world. So American companies wanting to issue a bond, say, they'll want to tap into European investors. How do they do that? Well, we'll go to London because it's the obvious centre. And that that part of London's business will be at risk. So it's not just a risk to the business that London does with the EU. It's a risk to the, it's a threat to the business that London is able to attract from outside the rest from the rest of the world because of its toehold in the EU. So this is an enormous threat to the city. However, the city does have an important important strength in its negotiating stance over these equivalent arrangements, and that is its sheer importance to the EU. So traditionally, Europe has relied on London to raise a lot of its finance. So um, European corporates, that's companies raising money through the bond markets, have done about half of their business through London. And whenever they're doing important financial transactions, they prefer to do it in London because London has all the business there in place. And doing business with one place is enormously important. Uh, one important aspect of the city's work is clearing, which is the, the making sure that trades match up. And if you're clearing all your trades together, you can net them off. So if you've 
sold something to somebody else but bought it back from some from another counterparty you can net those positions off and that's an extremely important cost saving and very little of the clearing activity of the city of london has moved over to europe so in all kinds of ways london is absolutely vital to europe and she can use this in negotiating because as i said at the end of the day britain can just turn around and say no thank you very much we're not going to be we're not going to bother with with equivalents and that that'll be a big hit to the eu as well as to london Mm-hmm. And are there any advantages to Brexit? Yes. Um, the proponents of Brexit uh, suggest several advantages. And I think the most important one is escaping as far as possible from EU regulation. Now, this may not happen because if Britain is signing up to all these equivalence agreements, it means that basically she's going to have to accept EU regulation. So there's a balance to be had. But EU regulation tends to be rather heavy and in the UK we have a tradition of regulation being um, principle-based which gives people a little bit of wriggle room they can say right this is the principle behind regulation we're we're following that whereas the AU tends to go down the route of writing pages and pages of prescriptive legislation also I can make a wider cultural point one of the reasons the, the city is so important to the UK is this UK is actually good at finance and very roughly speaking the rest of Europe isn't they just don't have the culture and it may well be that by freeing itself from the EU Britain is able to act in a much more independent and financial friendly way so one example of this was after the financial crisis the EU imposed a ban on bankers bonuses now this fits in with the populist thing people don't like bankers having big bonuses but the big advantage of bankers bonuses is that they're not receiving the totality of their remuneration in salary because if you ban bonuses it means you've got to pay them more salary and salaries are fixed whereas a bonus you can withhold if, if things are going badly so Paying bankers bonuses gives financial companies a lot of flexibility and the EU didn't want that. They just don't get what makes finance finance work. So the proponents of Brexit would argue that freed from the hand of the EU, Britain can go out and be a free agent drumming up business from the rest of the world. And one other important argument is that the EU, although it's extremely important to to Britain, it does appear to be rather sclerotic. Britain's trade, the EU is Britain's most important trade partner, but the proportion of trade going to the EU has been declining for well over a decade now. And this just reflects the fact, quite simply, that economic growth is is more rapid in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And Britain is, to some extent, escaping the, the, the dead hand of the EU. And then finally, one might say that the EU is a project doomed to end at some stage because of the problems of, well, there are lots of problems with the EU, which I'm sure everybody's aware of through reading the press. But the, the most obvious one is the currency union itself. And it's, it's it produced incredible strains. And I think it's quite reasonable to assume that in some recession in the future, it's all going to fall apart with terrible consequences. And it may well be that Britain being outside the EU will finally at that day at that point actually be seen to be an advantage and history in the making history in the making yeah 
If you'd like to know more about the financial setup and the history of the City of London, then we have three podcasts ready for you to listen to. Episode 11, London's Coffee Houses and Commerce. Episode 19, London Coffee Houses. And 27, The South Sea Bubble. And Ian has written a number of blog posts as well. I'll add links to the episode's webpage on londonguidedwalks.co.uk forward slash podcast. That's all for now. See you next week.